Yeah. The question, do you know what's going to happen in your life after the service today? I'm sure you've planned some activity. <clears throat> you may be saying, yes, I know, I'm going out to dinner. I'm going to see such and such. And I'm sure you've planned it. But do you really know what's going to happen after the service today? When I was pastoring in Hobart, Karen and I were told the story of when the bulk carrier, Lake Illawarra, hit the Tasman Bridge. It was a fair while ago. It was back on 5th of January 1975. It sent 127 metres of road crashing into the Derwent River onto the vessel and 12 people were killed. Seven crew of that ship and there were five occupants of four cars which fell 45 metres after driving off the bridge on that span. What's the point of my story? Well, the reason that Karen and I were told <coughs> when we were pastoring in Hobart is because two of the occupants were driving home after the evening Bible study at the, at the Baptist church that I pastored. And I couldn't help but wondering, I wonder what activity they had planned for after the service or after the Bible study on that Sunday. Disaster can strike at any time, including the moment when you least expect it. And I dare say from the news that uh, we prayed for this morning, the pastor that is at Victory Church wasn't expecting what happened to him. But as it turns out, this completely unexpected event of the lightning strike or even that uh, bridge falling down would not have surprised Solomon. Look what he wrote at the end of verse 11 of chapter 9, if you're there with me. He says, Time and chance overtake them all. We're now into the ninth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon confronts us with one of the frustrations of living in this fallen world. Once again, Solomon is giving us counsel about living under the sun. Remember what it is to live under the sun. And to give us a good remembrance of what it means to live under the sun, live without God in the picture, turn back with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I'll just read those verses to be encouraged for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to a place it rises there again. Blowing toward the south and turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, they will flow again. All things are wearisome, Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. 
And I can continue reading that and, and I'm sure we'd be encouraged not. <coughs> but be remember, I want to remind you that the book of Ecclesiastes is about a man, a wise man, given the opportunity to search out what it's like to live in this world without God, to live under the sun without having God in the picture. Now we have to live on this earth. There's no disputing that. We might live here, but we're not of it as Christians. Our citizenship right this moment as a born-again believer is in the heavens. You are there. You are glorified already. It just happens to be something that will happen to you in the future, but you are already there. Your citizenship is already counted for. And so as we read this passage again in chapter 9, remember that that Solomon is giving us counsel about living under the sun, living on this earth but not having God involved. And the encouragement is, for those of us who are born again believers, is we do have God involved. So we're going to look at what Solomon says about what it's like without God so we can be encouraged to know what it's like with God. Because the fact is we do live on this earth and we have to understand that. And I'll talk about that a bit later on. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 9, last time we spoke, we realised, if you just want to look back, that goods, the good things don't necessarily happen to good people. Do you remember that in chapter 9, verse 2? It said, it is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and one for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, for the unclean, for the man who offers the sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. And we looked at that last time, but now in verse 11, Solomon takes that same principle and applies it to our talents or various talents. Ordinarily, for instance, we'd expect things to go well with people who have strong abilities, and often they do. But having speed or strength or having your smarts doesn't guarantee success. And we don't know one way or the other anyway because it says time and chance overtake them all. So let's look at what Solomon says in verse 11 and see what we can garner from this passage and how we can be encouraged. I also want to, to understand that as if you sit here this morning as a, a person who has never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, what Solomon is seeing and discussing is what you have. Verse 11, I again saw under the sun, very important phrase, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favour to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Solomon is looking at life under the sun, life without God, and he's looking at it in this fallen, confused, and most of the time very unfair world that we live in, under the sun. And he mentions several kinds of people that you'd expect to be winners, yet sometimes it's just not to be. Usually the fastest person wins the race, but not always. Think of the tortoise and the hare. Well, speaking of 
battles. Usually the strongest man wins the fight, but sometimes the weaker man wins. And we see this as an example with David and Goliath, where the weaker man won. The Olympic slogan, you might know it, it says, Sitius, Altius, Fortius, swifter, higher, stronger. But the race is not always won by the swifter or the higher or the stronger. Nor the battle is not always won. And Solomon tells us that under the sun. And then Solomon expands the list of physical attributes by mentioning intellectual attributes. Ordinarily, someone with a superior mind could uh, earn a fortune or at least a good living. But when the markets crash, even they realise they could have been smarter. At the same time, he says, the wise don't always have something to eat. He says, intelligence does not guarantee you a good income. He says, having a lot of knowledge might not do you any favours at all. In short, human ability is no guarantee of success in this life under the sun. Human ability is no guarantee of success in this life under the sun, without God. Disaster can overtake any one of us at any time. Why? Because Solomon says time and chance happen to us all. Now I dare say you have never expected to read in the Bible a statement, time and chance happen to them all. But we see it around us every day. Somehow, though we never expect the Bible to admit it, let alone teach it. Well, first of all, it's important to say here that the Hebrew word translated chance does not mean what you think it means. When you hear the word chance in our modern language, the first thing you think of is random chance. The chance of of, um, playing a game or whatever might happen to you. By chance, we usually think random chance. But we need to go back to the Hebrew and understand that the word translated chance means that which could not have been predicted. Chance means that which could not have been predicted. I want you to understand here, right from the beginning, that there is never any question of God falling victim to random chance or being out of control. I don't think that for a minute, neither do the Hebrews. Because Michael Eaton, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says, On the lips of an Israelite, chance means what is unexpected, not what is random. Solomon is not denying the sovereignty of God. We know that God, in in Ephesians 1.11, says he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not just some things, he works all things to the counsel of his own will. Everything, everything is under God's wise providence, everything is under God's sovereign control. What happens in this life is not arbitrary, but it is subject to God's authority. So we need to understand that. And in understanding that, I hope you do understand that God does work all things according to the counsel of his will. If you do understand that, from our perspective here on this earth, 
the problem isn't, as it says there, time and random chance happen to all. It's truer to say that time and unpredictability happen to us all. Time and unpredictability. Which, by the way, is still a concern. Because if it's unpredictable, it's still, we still don't know what God's doing in our lives at every moment of the day under his wise and sovereign counsel. And so Solomon's thought in these verses, no matter how quick you think you are or how strong or how wealthy or how smart you are, you may still lose the race and there's no way for us to predict when that will happen. Time and unpredictability happen to us all. And then he continues, after telling us that, he continues in verse 12 (coughs) and he says, remember this is under the sun, moreover man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. You might remember earlier in chapter 3, verse 1, that Solomon told us there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. He's already told us that. But now in verse 12, Solomon tells us that we don't actually know the time that this evil might come upon us because uh, man does not know his time, according to verse 12. So if there is an appointed time for every event, the only person who knows that appointed time is God. God's the only one who knows because there is an appointed time for every event under heaven. Man does not know his time, but God does. In that example that Solomon gave us, the fish and the birds, they get caught before they know it. Let's face it, if they realised they were swimming or flying into a net or a snare, they would have gone in the opposite direction, as we would. If we saw a snare or a net, we would go the other way. But by the time these birds and fish were trapped, it was too late to escape, to escape as we are. When the evil time is, comes upon us, we didn't see it coming, we didn't see the net, we didn't see the snare. It came upon us and we can't escape it. Time and unpredictability happen to us all. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. These two verses are talking about what it's like living on this earth. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know when the snare and the net is going to fall upon us and this evil time occurs. So what can we do in a world where nothing is quite certain beyond the present time and what we have right at this very minute? What can we do? Do we withdraw to our homes and become a recluse and draw all the blinds and just stay in our homes so nothing happens? Or do we respond as the Apostle Paul did in Philippians 4, 12 to 13? This is what he wrote in Philippians to the Philippian church in chapter 4, verse 12. 
I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I wonder if we're ready for that in our lives. I wonder if we're ready to to do what Paul has done and to say, I get along because God or the Lord strengthens me. Or on the other hand, are we only on the lookout for the advantages of having God on our side and what he gives us? You know, the job, the promotion, the health and the wealth. Is that what you're looking out for? Is that what you think God is going to give you? Health and wealth and promotion and a job? What if God doesn't give it to you? What if God doesn't give it to us? What if that evil day comes, will you be able to stand? Can your theology survive the evil day? My brother's theology couldn't stand it. He wasn't healthy. He wasn't wealthy with all the people around him and he fell into a great heap because his theology, when the evil day came, couldn't handle it. Can your theology survive? In fact, when we look at this verse, is this not a test which finds out whether we want God for himself or what he can give us? Which one is it for you? Do you want God for himself? Or are you only following God or being here because of what he can give you? So here's the application for these two verses. God is much more than all the gifts he gives us. When we become ensnared at an evil time, and that will be different for every person in this room, and it will come, and I know the reason I can tell you it will come, because going to the New Testament, we have the book of James, who says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if you do, but when you do. You will fall into various trials. You will become ensnared in that evil day. And when that time comes, when the trials overtake us, does your theology say, well, I'm, I'm out of here, or is, do you realise you still have God? The best example of this is the prophet Habakkuk. He lived in the world of Ecclesiastes, which is the same world we live in. He too knew what it was to see failure. He knew what it was to see the wicked always winning in this topsy-turvy world where God uses his timetable and not ours. He too didn't know what was to happen or when God would come, but he knew God. He knew the God of holiness. He knew the God of truth. He knew the God of love and that our times are in his hands. You might like to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. If you can't find Habakkuk, that's all right. Just listen. If I knew where it was, I'd let you know. I'm terrible with the minor prophets. 
But this is what it says at the end of Habakkuk. Habakkuk had been prophesying and he says in verse 17, and remember, this is an agrarian society. Everything we're going to read about is his livelihood. It's his whole life. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stall, everything is gone. Your livelihood, you can put it down to today, your livelihood is gone. And verse 18 says, even though it's all gone, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on my high places. Life under the sun is unpredictable. It's, more, it's, it's misfortunes, sickness and loss and death and various trials that you will come across are inevitable and inescapable. And in his word, God tells us to expect the unexpected. When hardship do come, even when it comes suddenly, we should, don't be surprised about it. That's what James is talking. Don't be surprised that it comes. No matter how gifted we are, no matter how well prepared you think you are or how many advantages you think you have in this life, we too will suffer an evil day. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. It's the old saying, isn't it? Probably one that I don't like, but it comes to my mind is when the rubber meets the road. When everything's running smoothly, a lot of the time we forget about God. But when that's taken from us, yet do you exalt in the Lord or do you fall in a heap? You know, at this point, I understand that people are tempted to give up. Resign yourself to the fate. If the race isn't for the swift, then why run at all? If the battle's not won by the strong, then why prepare? If getting smart won't get you through life, then why try and make yourself better? Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But Solomon gives a different response. His response is talking about godly wisdom. Godly wisdom on this earth. And Solomon does this first by giving us the example of someone wise and then by comparing wisdom to several alternatives. Solomon's example is found in verse 13. He says, Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. Now we have to understand that's a big call from the wisest man in the world that this wisdom impressed him. Verse 14, there was a small city with few men in it and a great king came to it, surrounded it, constructed large siege works against it, but there was found in it a poor wise man and he delivered the city by his wisdom, yet no one remembered that poor man. Now some commentators, if you're reading a commentary on Ecclesiastes will tell you that this is a parable. It's a 
earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But I believe it to be a historical event and the reason I do is because something, or Solomon saw it. I came to see. He didn't invent this story, he had seen the story. A poor man, wise enough to save his entire city. But we have to leave the story there. Because the reality is you can't go any further into that story because Solomon doesn't tell us how the wise men did it. And we're not likely to figure it out because according to verse 15, no one remembered the wise man anyway. He never became famous. His story was never recorded. So we don't know any more than what's in that, those two verses. Yet the fact remains that his wisdom saved the city. And now we discover that that's Solomon's point anyway. You see, some scholars, if you read some commentaries, I think they just have to fill up, you need 300 pages on Ecclesiastes, so they fill up pages and pages of waffle. Because a lot of commentators will now go and try and work out to determine, now what was that, when did that happen in history? What was the name of the city? What was the name of the person? They try and find some historical event of what Solomon saw, but by doing that, they miss the whole point. The whole point is not about the method. The whole point is the deliverance of a city by impressive wisdom. This story tells an important lesson. Humanly speaking, this city didn't have a prayer. A great king came against it surrounded this small city, started to be, build siege works up the wall so that they could get their chariots and their, their soldiers over. They were, they were gone. Solomon's story is not about the method of how it happened. It's about wisdom. The battle is not always won by the strong and we praise God for that. In this particular case, one man knew exactly what to do and for Solomon, this was an example of wisdom from above if applied under the sun without God in the picture. (coughs) Admittedly, the man who used the wisdom was soon forgotten but here again is the realism of Ecclesiastes despite the good deed that he had done, no one remembered him anyway. What's the conclusion to this small story? People may forget who gave them wise counsel. They may even refuse to listen to the wise counsel you give them, but sharing godly wisdom is still better than the alternative, and that is not sharing. And relying on your own strength. Yes, strength is more impressive. I'll give you that. But it's ultimately less effective than wisdom because that's what Solomon says in verse 16. Wisdom is better than strength. If we stand strength alongside wisdom, strength uh, will get the public's vote every time. We're impressed with the strength of someone. Sometimes we're intimidated by that strength. Strength fits in the 21st century persona. How is strength more impressive? 
because it's always going faster or higher or stronger or smarter or cleverer. More competitive, more skillful. That's the way to succeed, says strength. But in verse 16, the words from the wisest man who ever lived, and you know the story that God gave him this wisdom, wisdom is better than strength. In our culture, scientific and technical knowledge are much preferred to being able to see things from God's perspective. We see that in our education system, clearly focused on helping people gain knowledge rather than wisdom. Because let me tell you now, having knowledge does not give you wisdom. But God has been taken out of the picture of our public classrooms. When it comes down to it, even knowledge is uh, is devalued under wealth and health and pleasure and fame and comfort and good looks. And wisdom comes a, a terrible last. But I've got to say, if you and I are to find success, wisdom is an essential tool for us to have and to use. And I dare say, especially in the church. We don't need people always trying to succeed by going faster or getting stronger or getting smarter or getting cleverer or more competitive or more skillful. We need wisdom from above in the church. Solomon says wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom can accomplish what physical strength and resources can't. And this is the point of Solomon's story about this small city that was saved by wisdom. You know, I I really would love to know the wisdom that saved that city against the great king. I would love to know what this man did and what the wisdom that he used to bring or to save that city. But you know what? If we knew the method, then I'd bet that we would seek the method before the wisdom. We would become method-run people instead of looking for wisdom from above in every circumstance that comes our way, you'd start getting 40 days of everything because that's the method. The method is good because it worked. No, the method is not what we're looking for. We're looking for wisdom from above, not to do something in 40 days because the method says it's there to do. There's so many how-to-do books, how to grow a church, how to do this. They're all methods. We need a book that says, how do you gain wisdom from God? And believe it or not, we have it. We have the scriptures. Don't worry about the method that this man used, whatever wisdom it was. All we need to know is wisdom. It was wisdom from above. It saved his town. Don't worry about the method. The method is not what we're looking for. We're looking for wisdom, wisdom from above. And fortunately, the poor man who saved the city was able to get people to listen to what he had to say. But let me tell you, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes people will refuse to listen to the words of wisdom. Solomon tells us at the end of verse 16, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heard or not heeded. Wise counsel is never popular 
If you have given wise counsel to someone, you'll realise that it's rarely obeyed, seldom remembered. No one remembered the wise man. But this is one of Solomon's main points throughout this whole section. If we are wise, we will listen to wise counsel. And this is the situation that's described in 17 and 18. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So verse 17 is describing a loudmouthed leader. You might have them in your workplace. This particular man gets his own way by shouting at everyone, shouting everyone down. It happens all the time. A man tries to rule his family or or his business or take control of his church by throwing his weight around and yelling. How easy is it for one proud or angry man to wreck a marriage or divide a church? But there's a better way, Solomon says. And he commends us the words of the wise heard in quietness. A wise man does not feel the need to be shouting a lot. He knows it's not the loud words that move people's hearts and changes uh, the world for good. It's the wise word. Even though it doesn't talk about it specifically, I love Proverbs 15.1. I've remembered it and used it in many situations. A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word will stir up anger let the wisdom of what we speak speak for itself and as a result our quiet advice is always worth hearing even if it's not always followed but in the end the following of it is not your responsibility that's God's responsibility and the person that's hearing it Our responsibility is to have a wise word in quietness with whomever we're talking to. Especially in conflict, because that's what verse 18 says. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Teddy Roosevelt used to say, uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. That was his, he's known for that. Well, with apologies to Mr. Roosevelt, It's better to say, speak softly and do not carry a big stick. uh, Wisdom is better than weapons. Now Solomon's not denying that there's a time of war or for war. He's not denying the usefulness of weapons when it comes to fighting. But he is saying that wisdom is superior to any weaponry. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our world, that the leaders who gather together to talk, talk wisdom the foreign correspondents or the foreign leaders of each, uh, each country, if they spoke wisdom. But we can also apply this to our homes, where a few quiet words of wisdom, usually and um, always are more honouring to God and always more effective than a lot of shouting. We can apply this principle to the church, where honest, wise conversation and genuine communication usually help avoid a major conflict. Being wise in those situations. And then we have the last phrase in verse 18, but one sinner destroys much good. What a a sobering reminder of the damage that one 
sinful person can do, usually someone in power. Wisdom has its advantages, but it doesn't take much to spoil the good that it might produce when you have one sinner who can destroy what you're doing. How then should we live in this world that is unpredictable, in this world that is topsy-turvy to what we're used to or should, will be used to? How should we live in this world? Every day is so uncertain. This afternoon is so uncertain. We can suffer loss or hardship at any moment. What are we to do about it? Even the swift will lose the race or may lose the race. Even if you're strong, you, you may get defeated. Even if you're smart, you may suffer poverty. And so having seen wisdom exemplified, how should we apply it to our lives? What should we be doing? Well, I'm going to speak to those people first who have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour because the first thing you need to do to get wisdom from above is to give your life to Jesus Christ. There is no other way. If you don't give your life to the Lord, then everything that Solomon says, you may as well eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. Everything is vanity. Vanity upon vanities. That which has been is, it will be. That which has been done has already been done. There's nothing new under the sun. A sad situation. The first thing you need to do is to give your life to the Lord. This means asking him to be saviour. Praying that he will forgive you for your sins by the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that we met around the table about. It also means submitting to him as Lord, offering your whole lives as a sacrifice. Romans 12.1 Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is only your reasonable service anyway. I put the anyway at the end just to give it some context. That's the wisest thing anyone can do. That's where wisdom starts. So if you sit here this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your Saviour, wisdom begins there. It cannot begin anywhere else. And as Christians, as we sit here this morning, how do we live in a life that's so uncertain? Well, it's, it's simple. It really is. If we want to be wise, you only have to ask for it. Did you realise that? All you have to do is ask God. Going back to James again, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, so he won't say, I told you so. He'll give it to you generously, generously and it will be given to you. Ask and he will give, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So when you're going through those hard times and you make a, you've got a decision to make and you're not sure which way to go, you only have to ask. God, show me wisdom from above. What am I to do? Giving our lives to Jesus Christ in all his wisdom is the wisest decision we can ever make. And now as Christians, our future is totally secure. 
We know for certain that when we die, we're going to be in heaven. This man that died the other day, he's with his Lord in glory. Don't try and figure out the reasons. All I know is that when he was there, the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my presence. We also know that whatever happens in life, as Christians, we have a loving Saviour and Lord who will be with you to help you and to care for you under the loving hands and arms of God. Time and unpredictability will happen to us. But please understand that they also happen to be under God's control. And so when we trust in God, we know that our lives are kept safe in the hands of our sovereign and mighty God. Remember what the Lord said when he looked in Jerusalem? I, all I wanted to do was gather them, gather them into my arms. Well, that's what he's done for us. He's gathered us into his arms. Also, godly wisdom says we need to be thankful for the many blessings we have and content with what we have. And when the evil time does come, or if it, when it does come, that our theology says, yet I will exalt in the Lord. Godly wisdom is being prayerful about every difficulty that you're going through. Godly wisdom is being faithful in doing his work that he has given you, the work that he has planned before the beginning of time that you should walk in it. Even though we don't know how much time we have or we don't have a clue what trials are coming our way, we need to use our time wisely. We need to take every chance as an opportunity to trust in Jesus and to live for him. And then when you leave the service today, if that's where you are at, when you leave the service today, whatever you have planned, you know that you will be in the loving hands of our God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this man that you put aside to write this journal. We thank you for the knowledge and the fact that we have this journal written for us in our own language. We thank you, Father, that you gave him insight, you gave him wisdom to look at this world and what it would be like without you, the futility of it, the fact that there is nothing in this world, there's nothing new under the sun, nothing to look forward to. The wind is the same, the sun comes up, it goes down, the rivers flow and, and ebb. Yet, Lord, we have the privilege of accepting your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Saviour and our, our life is changed. We have a new perspective. We have a new destiny. We're just pilgrims passing through on this land in the knowledge that we have a better place that we are all travelling to, where there is purpose, the purpose of serving you. We thank you, Father, that we can be led down a, a, a horrible path of futility, but always be lifted up in the knowledge that even though we live on this earth, we are not of it. We are set apart, we are different. We are high priests 
And so, Father, we look to that time when everything will be known, when we see you face to face. But in the meantime, help us to live on this topsy-turvy world. Help us to see the, uh, the snares and the evil that comes upon us and to be able to continue to trust you in it. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here in this room that are able to help me to live through those, those times. Father, we need that. Sometimes we need you with flesh on. And I thank you for all in this room who are able to comfort one another with the comfort that you have given them. And so, Father, help us to understand and see the, the difference that we are when we have God in our lives. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, who are not even sure about it, Lord, by your Spirit, give them no peace until they come to that point, to the point of knowing that without you, life is futile. With you, it's glorious. So, Father, we look forward to that time when your Son will return to take his church to be with with him. In the meantime, Lord, help us, I pray. Give us wisdom from above as we ask for it. And we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.